Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast, where every week, Danny and Maura Vega discuss topics that help families live a healthy and active lifestyle with their little ones, including nutrition and training, peaceful parenting, education, and mindset. To stay up to date, make sure to hit subscribe on this podcast and check out the blog at www.fatfuel.family. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram at dannyvega.ms, at fatfueledmom, and at fatfueledkids, and fatfueledfamily on YouTube. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Vega, and I'm joined by my very spiritual right, wife right <laughs> <Okay>. now. Um, <laughs> okay. We've, we've, had like, we've had an amazing day. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. We just recorded with Trent, so you guys will have heard that by now, hopefully. And um, we're about to record with our good friend, Jessica. We shared an amazing weekend in Ohio together, and um, Saturday night was just one of those things that we haven't even talked about in public, but... It just was um, taking a situation that we all felt torn up about and, um, and then turning it into this amazing prayer circle where we were just like getting together and turning it into something positive. So yeah. um, the other thing that we're noticing, I'm definitely inspired to make a video after this, um, is just the overwhelming amount of, you know, Jessica, before we got on the air, was speaking about the peace that she feels even more than usual. And, you know, we're right now, I, I never do this, but I'm going to say this. We're right now on March 17th, and this will come out probably a few weeks from now. So I don't even know what the condition of the country is going to be, what, what's going to be happening at this point, but I'm not worried and I'm at peace as well. And I think in times like this, these are the best times Jessica mentioned, like people are going to be looking for people who can bring them peace and, and hopefully try to figure out like, where does that peace come from, you right. know? And hopefully we can offer that to you guys because, you know, I mentioned this, I don't know if I said it on air, but, you know, I lost a sponsorship yesterday that paid my mortgage, you know? And so, you know, that, that's a piece of my income that's not coming back for the foreseeable future. And I just got to basically expect who knows if it will come back. And, and I'm not worried about it. I've never been worried. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're very blessed to be, in such abundance, you know, like have a, a a bed to sleep on every night, have food in our house, and still even now have access to food and and the necessary things of life. So, um, for anyone who's listening to this, um, there's just there's no use in worrying. Like I think the Dalai Lama said, um, if 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 there's no way to fix it. If there's a way mm -hmm. to fix it, then there's no need to worry. And if there's no way to fix it, then there's no use in worrying. Right. So, you know, worrying does not get you anywhere. Being going crazy and, and feeling like you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to lose everything if you don't fight that person over the roll of toilet paper. Like, these are all things oh. that don't make sense to us. And yeah. so, um, but, you know, we have Jessica on, Jessica Reynolds, and we're, we want to talk to her because she has an amazing story. And I don't know if you guys have heard it, but Jessica's a life coach and ketogenic lifestyle coach who's certified in holistic nutrition and cognitive behavioral therapy for eating disorders. She struggled with bulimia, anorexia, and compulsive eating for 31 years before discovering keto. She's now been in recovery for over four years and spends most of her time pursuing her passion of spreading the word that there is hope, healing, and recovery from eating disorders and mental illness by just eating real food. She also lost 141 pounds, got off meds for depression, anxiety, bladder disease, and migraine by eating a well-formulated ketogenic diet. Jessica's entire family 
lives the keto lifestyle and she was helped by her daughter uh, who has successfully um, managed epilepsy with low carb, high fat nutrition for the past three and a half years. Um, if you guys don't know her, her name is Super Keto Clara. She just made this amazing epic post like a few weeks back about why it doesn't make sense to cheat. And just to hear that level of maturity from someone her age. How old is she? 12, Jessica? She's 12. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, I get goosebumps thinking about it, but Je Jessica's story has been featured in First for Women uh, and Women's World magazines, and she has written articles for ketovangelist.com and ketogenic.com. She's also been a speaker on the 2019 Low Carb Cruise, the 2019 Keto 101 Cruise, KetoCon 2019, and is an upcoming speaker on the 2020 Lo Low Carb Cruise, which hopefully won't be canceled, mm -hmm. as well as KetoCon 2020. You can follow her on Facebook or Instagram at Coach Jessica with a Y. Welcome to the show, Jessica Reynolds. What's up, Jessica? <laughs> That was way too long. Oh my goodness! No way. Oh, we've had longer. No ones. way. We Danny's have longer ones. We have we have ones. doctors that like have like five fellowships, and we read them all. But I'm just like, <laughs> it feels good, doesn't it? Tell me, it doesn't feel good for you to just hear all of the things you've accomplished. I was just thinking about. I was like, all those things are true. Is he talking about me? <laughs> yeah, it feels awesome to hear that. I think it's. I, I always love doing that before we bring a guest on. Yeah. Love yesterday, it. Trent said, "Tell him who you are," and I was like, "Really? I'm nobody." <laughs> um, and I think that's so important to to understand that that God uses nobodies, especially in times uh, like these. Yes, and yes. being and staying humble um, is absolutely the key to staying oh, yeah. grounded. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, we just were talking with Trent, and we talked about how in periods of abundance um, we lose our focus, we yeah. lose our gratitude, but it's only mm. in those times of scarcity. When people are like, wait a second, do we really need the toilet paper? We don't need the toilet, you know? I was, I was proud to see that. So our grocery stores are ridiculous. Yes, all the toilet paper is gone. But guess what <laughs> else is gone? All the meat and eggs. The junk food aisles are full. It's Good. like people have returned to their senses. If you're really yep. not going to have food available, what are you going to buy? Gonna eat? Yeah. Plus, you're not going to so eat I crap that's going to hurt that. you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're not going to eat stuff that's going to compromise your immune system. You, yeah. you don't have that leeway right now. Yeah, I expected to see all the Doritos gone. And that entire row was almost untouched. And all the meat and eggs were gone, which was inconvenient for me. <laughs> but it, it really helped me understand, like, maybe this is going to help mindset about health. I think so. I think, I think you're right. Yep. That's, that's what we were just talking about, you know, like looking at the good. I mean, people I think are going to be, you know, better taking care of themselves right now. People are spending more time together, spending time outside. Um, so, you know, yeah. got to look at the positive. <laughs> well, so we always lead off with the question, Jessica, what is the most critical problem you're currently trying to solve? Um, well, I have a couple of problems, right? <laughs> is it one? Not really. Not, uh, not really. Um, again, I, I told you guys, I feel extremely peaceful, even though I feel like chaos is swirling all around me. And yeah. probably the biggest problem that I have right now is how am I going to share this peace with others and bring them into this circle, bring them to this place of peace and help them understand. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's what I know. Um, most of my clients are 
they have depression, they have eating disorders, um, they really struggle with mental health issues a lot of times, uh, anxiety. And these are times of extreme stress in this world. Yeah. And what I know about people, and this applies in all kinds of different situations, not just to food issues, but what I know about people is in times of extreme stress, that is when they are most likely to go back to the thing that has comforted them in the past, even if they've learned another way. Yeah. And so for me as a coach, um, I coach people to food sobriety. Um, I and I, you know, I can talk love more it. about that, but yeah, this is that. a danger zone. It's an extreme danger zone for people who are newly food sober or in recovery from food addiction, eating disorders. And, and again, extreme stress is a whole different level um, that can take you to a place of um, compromise. And I know that's what I'm dealing with. I'm hearing it. And um, I really feel like that's part of the reason God's given me this spirit of peace is they, they tend to be stressed out and we have a conversation and then they're not. <laughs> so that's, right. that's what I'm doing right now. Really. It's, it's, um, it's sharing peace. Um, and it's, it's a little bit different than it normally is, but um, we were talking about how, Basically, every single person has been affected at some level by what's going on um, in the economy and everything's shutting down. And that has meant losses financially for all of us and our you know, family stuff. And there's a lot of disappointment. I have brides whose weddings are canceled. I mean, it's, wow. it's oh, wow. huge, huge, huge. Um, so I'm working with people in getting them through this time of extreme stress with their sobriety intact um, and bringing them to this place of peace is my number one thing I'm working on right now. Well, I love that. And I, I, you know, Maura wrote all the questions for this. I haven't even looked at them. I'm going to go off script here because I want you to talk about food sobriety because I mean, addiction is so prevalent nowadays. And I think we do, we we've we've spoken to a lot of recovering addicts, and it's so funny how you know we we take our eye off of food, which right. is like the most abundant and most and biggest temptation for us because we have to eat. We can't abstain from eating. Right. You know, I myself have had some serious issues with binge eating and just losing control, and and it just like yeah. while it's happening, you're just like, what's going on? And then. And then anyone who, who has been through this will know that there is no end, like the amount right. of gastronomical feats that you can, com- yes. that you can do are just unheard of. And so I, I want you to talk a little bit about food sobriety, because I think people need to really get a grasp of yeah. what that means. Yeah. Some people are probably hearing those words for the first time. Um, to me, what food sobriety means is that I don't knowingly put things into my body that will harm me. Um, And the more I learn about nutrition, the better I am at that. Um, So food sobriety is not engaging in compulsive behavior, like compulsive overeating. There's, Mm -hmm. there's a few different types of eating disorders. Um, Anorexia, which most people are aware of that's restricting Um, bulimia, 
which a lot of people are aware of, but they just picture purging. They just picture Mm -hmm. that aspect of it. But bulimia is actually anything you do to undo a food decision. So excessive exercise after a huge meal, fasting to undo what you did the day before, um, taking laxatives to get stuff out of your system or diuretics because you're bloated because of your eating. All those are bulimic behaviors. Yeah. Um, compulsive overeating is when you start and you can't stop. Um, and of course, binge eating is eating huge amounts of food all at one time. Um, like Danny said, bottomless pit. Um, I personally struggled with all of those things at one yeah. point in my life um, or um, at different times or all together. <laughs> um, I was always in some cycle of that eating disorder. And um, so, the food sobriety, the idea of that came from um, the fact that food is not treated by most people as an addiction. And there's a few reasons why. One, as you said, we have to eat food. So if you generally say, I have a food addiction, that scares people. Like, yeah. how can we use the same answer for this that we use for alcohol, that we use for drugs, right. and we use for other things yeah. we're addicted to? And so that's a little scary. The other thing is it's socially acceptable, right? Yep. Um, it is not okay to show up at church falling down drunk for most people. Right. No, it's not. But you can show up after you've binged and, and it's okay. It's an acceptable yeah. way. It's an acceptable thing to do. It is more socially acceptable. And I bring up church because I was raised in a church family. And um, I think it's very, very prevalent. Um, you don't have a lot of people, you know, typically with alcoholism and drugs, but you look around and the health situation there is terrible because every single thing is food related. Um, but again, I think that's one of the reasons why we don't deal with it, because if you admit there is such a thing as food addiction, there's a lot more people that have a problem than want to admit it. Um, and so it's it's much more widespread. If you say the words eating disorder, Again, people picture anorexia, bulimia, maybe binge eating. They picture someone very, very large, but eating disorders are are so much more than that. Any of that addictive behavior, any of that, anytime a substance controls you and you feel like you had the intentions of doing one thing and the next thing you know it, you're doing the very thing that you didn't want to do, that's an addiction controls you it's controlled your behavior so the answer to um the answer to this is we do have to treat like an addiction i was in many many eating disorder hospitals um and we can talk about anything you want to about that but i was in multiple programs um i was (laughs) i did every diet i had too many psychologists to remember and therapists and everything else and and the end result of therapy of a hospital treatment for this type of eating was always moderation. Yeah. When you are well, there won't be any bad foods. There won't be any foods that are off limits. You won't um, have groups of food that you don't eat. And so the reason that I failed for more than 31 years is because I was trying to be something that I'm not. Right. And 
what I am is an addict. I am not a moderator. And so if, if my goal in treatment was always to be able to come out and eat everything and I, my addiction is turned on by certain things and I'm engaging in that, I was sure to fall on my face every time. And I did, um, eating disorders are also progressive. They get worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, they don't stay the same. Um, part of the reason for that is that it's secret. The things that we do with food, hiding and eating, going through drive-throughs and pretending you order food for a lot of people, it's all really just for you. Um, I mean, there's so many secret behaviors with binging and with purging and and shame attached to it. Um, it grows. It's dark. It's a dark, dark place, and it grows. And again, what I think with my role in life is right now is to shine a bright light on it because it stops the growth of it. It starts to bring the shame away. Um, But so food sobriety comes from the idea of we don't strive to become moderators because people who are people who um, um, moderate don't really know they are. They don't think about it. They don't strive to be moderators. They just are. They just naturally take a bite of food and put it down and they say, oh, that's really rich. I can't, can't eat it all. I remember hearing people say that and I'll be like, what in the world are they talking about? Like ditto. give me eight of those. Yeah. Ditto. Um, <laughs> More is better. So, so yeah. we, um, a moderator is not something you can strive to be. You can strive to learn everything that you can about nutrition and then choose not to put things into your body that, you know, cause you harm. You can also choose to understand what compulsive or what um, damaging behaviors that you have, and you can choose you can choose to address them, um, and you can also choose to know the truth. And the truth is, any behavior that doesn't serve you well today is something you can change. It doesn't matter if you did it for thirty years. It really, really doesn't. It's not who you are. So. For me, food sobriety after over four years means I don't do things to hurt myself. I don't eat things that will hurt me. I don't engage in activities that will cause my body harm. I am no longer self-destructive. For someone who's new, food sobriety might just be not eating sugar and garbage food. Right. Um, start with a very basic, eat this, not this. Um, sobriety is a journey that continues to grow. Um, you, you don't just get sober and stay sober. You get sober and then you see what's next. What's the next layer of sobriety? You know, what's the next piece of this? What can I peel back? What behavior in my life do I continue to do that is sabotaging my happiness or sabotaging my ability to fulfill my purpose? That is the best definition ever. Um, and I love your definition of addiction. I just want to add before Maura gets yes. to the next question is uh, just one more, um, in one more definition that we love from Dr. Gabor Mate. He says, I'd say that an addiction manifests in any behavior that a person finds temporary pleasure or relief in and therefore craves, suffers negative consequences from and has trouble giving up, which is, you know, very similar to what you said, but yeah. it's. It just makes it so much easier to extend that to so many Other different things. areas where people before it was like, 
oh, you can't stop doing cocaine or you can't stop drinking alcohol. Yeah, like those are like the biggies, right? But what about the other things? Yeah, yeah, so many other things. Well, gosh, man. So we have quite a bit to unpack here and we want to, you know, we want to talk to you about all the things, but just so our, our, our listeners can, you know, get to know you a little bit better for those who don't know you. Can you give us, you know, and this is kind of a loaded question, like a little bit of background. I'm sure it's like not a little bit, but, um, you know, just kind of your story, how, you know, as it relates to food, your, you know, your eating disorders and then how you found keto. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, there are so many different twists and turns to my, like they could be talked about separately. (laughs) So, (laughs) so reel me in if I get too caught up in one thing, but I'm going to, the, the, the overview, the overview is, um, you know, I am very skeptical about where the world says eating disorders come from, right? They say it's related to the media, it's comparison, it, all these, you know, standards of beauty. Um, And I don't believe that based on my own story. Um, My mom took me to a child psychologist when I was four because I was writing numbers and letters backwards. She was a teacher, so that concerned her. She thought I might be dyslexic. And I actually remember going to this to this doctor. And it's interesting. um, When he came out and talked to my mom, he said, you know what? She's left-handed. That's part of why she's doing these things left, you know, backwards. So she has to, her brain works a little bit differently. And he said, and the other thing that's really odd is she's obsessed with food. Wow. At four. Wow. And it, again, that's sort of like staggering when you think about it. At four, I didn't care about a standard of beauty. I didn't care about anything. Food was a natural preoccupation for me. And as I got older, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I would hide food and eat it. I would volunteer to cook. My mom used to call me her little baker. Um, I did that so I could eat while I was doing it. Like I ate so much. Um, if cookie dough killed you, I would be long dead. Um, <laughs> exactly. I, I would also volunteer to pack the other kids' lunches. There were four of us and I would do that so I could portion theirs out and give myself a whole bunch and eat while I was doing it. So I had this unnatural um, relationship with food for as long as I can remember. And um, it, it it isn't necessarily because of something that I saw or heard or something that was done. I believe that some of us are just wired differently when it comes to what we feel, think about food. Um, so when I was 11, I, uh, that's the first time that I binged and purged 11 years old. Um, and What's interesting about that is there was a little bit of comparison that began the bulimia. I was a, a curvy for 11 and um, my friends were kind of like straight up and down, like just sort of stick thin. <laughs> and I didn't like that at all. I did notice a difference. Nowadays, we celebrate curves. They were not celebrated in the in the 80s. So yes, much. exactly. Um, and so. So I realized I can't eat the way that I eat. I can't eat all this food and look like them. I also had always said to my mom, I don't want to grow up. I don't, I don't want to be a grown up. I don't want to be a, 
I don't want responsibilities. I don't want to be an adult. And for me, my body changing like that was the sign of you are becoming an adult, whether you want to or not. Right. And so I thought it was a good idea. I thought I thought I found this like miracle. I thought of the best plan ever. And that is I get to eat all this stuff and then I'll just get rid of it. It's like it never happened. And I did find that that helped me lose a little bit of weight, but mostly it helped me just maintain. Um, what I didn't realize at age 11 was there was such a psychological piece of that. I was eating because of the stress in my house. And I don't know it, when that started. I, I have a feeling that it, it's always been part of it. But there were certain events in our home. Um, my, our family struggled with money. My dad had three jobs. And my mom was in college full time. There were four of us. She was 27, four kids in college full time. And, and, um, she was suicidal. Uh, she had a nervous breakdown at one point and there were things that I saw and heard during that time frame that I had pushed aside, like repressed memories is something we could discuss at a different time. But what I realized I had been using that food to push down the feelings. I did not like the way that I felt. And when I would binge eat food temporarily, I would feel better. And the purging wasn't really about maintaining my weight. I got a temporary pleasure out of releasing it. Not only did I push down the feeling, I let it out. Wow. Emotionally, I was addicted to purging as much as I was to overeating. So I actually engaged in that for five years until I was 16. The only person who knew was a sister. And um, there was, there were points that my health and crazy dieting came into question because I was always doing something strange. I might've done the original egg fast. I remember (laughs) I ate only eggs. Um, That was when I was a kid, like 12 years old. Um, and, and again, there was a lot of stuff swirling around. I had a sister who was in rehab. She had a drug problem. Like there was all this stuff. Um, my mom struggled with her mental health. Daddy was working all the time and he was angry a lot. And I, I think this is just something it was easy for me to get away with unnoticed, the binging and purging um, and the crazy dieting and all that stuff. Like it was just, it, it wasn't in the front of things. And I was good with that because I knew that it needed to be a secret. I'm like, this is really weird stuff. And I know if someone finds out I'm doing this, they're going to try to make me stop. And I really like to do it. I didn't want to change. There was no idea I want to get well. Um, So again, I always like to say this, in spite of everything going on, when my parents truly realized there was a problem when I was 16, they dug up every resource that they could find. They looked um, for people that specialized in eating disorders, they, they, I have to tell you, there was really nothing out there as far as we could find, Um, but they tried so hard. They sent me to many different therapists, um, different hospitals. I was in hospitals with, um, hardcore drug addicts. Um, in a way they had it right because I was an addict. (laughs) I, I did have an addiction, but there was no one else there and there was no food treatment program. In fact, I would just starve the whole time. I wouldn't eat one bite of food while I was there and no one noticed. Um, 
we did finally find an eating disorders hospital in Florida. And um, that was a, that was a good time for me. It was one of the first times I was about 17, 18 then, or in between 17, 18. And it was the first time I realized there were other people just like, um, there was, that's comforting for sure. I'm I'm sure. It was because when you think you're the only one who engages in crazy, what you see, is extremely abnormal activity it, it is lonely and you walk around constantly feeling like you have this secret and you are this other person that people can't know about um but yeah it was such a relief to me to put a name to it to, to call it an eating disorder um i was diagnosed with depression and um you know i started i started prozac and other meds in my teens um, you guys know I'm 40, almost 46 now. And so I was on those kind of nonstop for decades, Oh my um, God. Which, which I think actually led to some of my other issues or oh, of course. part of it. Yes. Um, so, so I was in and out of hospitals. The problem was, again, I wasn't, it wasn't treated as addiction. It was treated as a disease, which was good. I remember the, the motto of the first real eating disorder hospital that I went in was, it's not your fault. You're not alone. And that just those words, like somebody gets it. And what's even more compelling and helps me today is that there wasn't a unit for people with bulimia and a unit for people with anorexia and a unit for compulsive overeaters. There was, there was me. And at the time I bounced around between all three of those things. I was a maybe slightly underweight at that time, but there were people who were, you know, skeletally thin and there was someone who was 800 pounds. They understood there that it was all the same disease, that it was all the same illness. And it absolutely is. Mm -hmm. The, the sabotaging things that we think cause each one of those things. And it's the same illness. And I, that's one really great thing that came out of that particular um, hospitalization. But again, I didn't know how to function in the real world. I was clean after being there. I was eating a super, super, super low fat, tasteless diet. And that's what they fed you. No salt, no butter, no nothing. <laughs> um, and as long, and they, they sent me away with a food plan and it was very specific. And it had measurements. And as long as I did those things, those first few weeks after I left, I was like, I can do this. I can be well. I can be okay. And then real life happened. My parents were like, let's go out to eat somewhere. I'm like, okay. I go and I realize I can't measure. I can't control what's in this stuff. I bet those green beans have fat in them. And I lost it. I was like, there's no way I can live in a world where I have to follow this food plan. And so I really spiraled really, really badly into a period of anorexia after getting out of the hospital for bulimia and compulsive overeating oh because this, the standard, this food plan, it was so, it was like, here's your answer. Just do this. Right. And when you're way, when you're much, much better, you can eat other things, but it doesn't work unless I was in a bubble and somebody bringing me these things. Um, and so it didn't work long-term. 
And I relapsed over and over and over and over. I'm going to fast forward through many other hospitalizations. Um, and during this time, uh, I did get married. Yes, someone married me, even with all this craziness. Um, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's an awesome good, person. We he's all love him. Yeah, he's a good, good, good man. Um, and um, so uh, he was in the military. And I had a lot of time alone and my eating disorder just continued to spiral out of control. Um, again, because he was gone a lot, it also became a workaholic. Um, I find that those of us who have compulsive behaviors with food, we often also have that. We may have about three things that we do compulsively. One is eating. Oh, yeah. the second one can be spending. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a workaholic. And then the third thing varies by person. There's definitely some common stuff, but that, again, that's a whole other discussion. So I also became a workaholic and I discovered that I was an amazing employee. <laughs> I could, I got promoted. I mean, I would, I would, I worked in the retail world and, and I would spend the night doing stuff myself so we could save all of our payroll so to, to, so they could serve the customers. And I mean, so I would do everything. I would like tire myself out. And and I think that's also a compulsive thing. But the the point there is I I became successful. I got promoted often and um, moved to a different company and quickly got promoted. At some point had a really amazing, tremendous job. Um, It was fantastic. When I look back and I think about them, I'm like, whoa, okay, I made a lot of money. And I got to teach, coach, train people. Um, some of those people are still at that company today, which makes me so proud. Um, and even though I've been gone for a long time, but I had this successful career in terms of money. Um, unfortunately, um, I was on the road a lot. <laughs> and yeah. living out of a hotel room um, doesn't serve you well when you have a secret illness. Oh, uh, no. I would, I would be there and I would turn on this, the best of me, the best I could muster up to be engaging and to be wise and, and bring everything to the people that I gave them. And I mean, bring everything that I had in me to teach them and train them. And they appreciated that. I was appreciated. I was well thought of. But that is one of the darkest times for me because I felt like that person was a fake person. The real me was the one who got into the hotel at night, ordered room everything on room service and binged on it all night and purged over and over. And I oh. believed if anybody knew that part of me, I would I would fall apart They in their eyes. Like there's no, it was even more secretive and even more shameful because people had this image of me that I was not. Um, and so walking around feeling like a fraud all the time made my eating disorder worse. It made me comfort with food. And, um, and so again, at some point I basically had a nervous breakdown. I walked away from that job. Because I thought getting away from this, getting away from the pressure will help me feel better. And I soon discovered that was not, the, that wasn't the case. 
Um, All the turmoil was in me. The pressure was internal. And so it was still with me. Uh, It didn't matter where I went. It didn't matter if I was home. It didn't matter um, if I had responsibilities or not. I, I always felt this pressure and this anxiety and the being a home after years and years and years of travel and being on the road and working all the time also kind of lost my identity. Um, I felt like a nobody. And I know that sounds terrible, but when you come from a place where people need you and they are excited to see you and they think well of you, and then you feel like I'm not doing anything. Imposter syndrome, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I lost my, I felt like I had lost my identity and my eating disorder just got terrible. Um, This is where a five-year period started that led me up to the place that was a true breaking point. Um, I, I, at one point with the anorexia, I had been 115 pounds and I am um, between 5'9 and 5'10. And I looked like skeleton. Um, and by the time I had been at home for a few years, I was up to 309. Wow. Um, it was nonstop binging. Just absolutely nothing else in the world gave me any pleasure besides binge eating. And during that time, I did still try to do diet some. But there came a time where I was like, I don't care anymore. I believed. There was a lie that I believed. And what I believed was, I'm so worn out. And this pressure is coming from me constantly fighting this illness. If I can just let go, accept the illness and the fact that it is part of me, then I will have peace. And so I believed that. And it was a lie. (laughs) Because not only did I not have peace, my eating disorder continued to progress with no resistance from me. I wasn't even trying. I wasn't trying to hide it. I was at home. I literally didn't leave the house. I, I didn't have a driver's license anymore. I just let it go. I stopped driving. I stopped interacting. I got off social media. My entire world was binging and purging. Um, I've mentioned, I think I mentioned this at the Keto at the Cabin event, but I was suicidal. I literally, um, it it was so, the suicidal thoughts were so overwhelming um, that I couldn't, I I couldn't function. I really would just lay there and like lay on my hands to keep myself from doing something compulsively. And it's not that I really wanted to die. I just didn't want to live. I couldn't Mm -hmm. stand who I was. And again, uh, I, I developed a bunch of health problems. Um, at some point I was on 17 pills a day and you mentioned a lot of stuff that I'm free from in the, um, in the, um, introduction. And that's, that's the story here. You know, people see my picture and are like minus, you know, you lost 142 pounds. Awesome. But I am free from, you know, antidepressant and from, I'm in recovery from this eating disorder and I'm off pills for um, anxiety and for mood disorder, bipolar disorder, for migraine. And so I went from being this person who is completely homebound to the person that I am now. And that's the story. 
is that I was rock bottom. I was literally suicidal. I could not, I could not stop thinking of hurting myself because I felt like such a burden to the world. And again, that continued. And um, I actually, and I will mention this, I won't get too far off on track. No, um, okay. But, um, but um, there was a point where the doctor said to me, uh, you've been on meds so long, they don't work for you anymore. Wow. And so the only thing left for you to do, this is your only option, uh, electric shock therapy. Mm. And, you know, at the time, um, I guess, you know, I, I guess I was desperate. And if I had known then what I know now, there's no way I would have allowed that. But I was so sick. I don't think you can make a really good decision when you're that ill. Um, and you certainly don't understand the um, what the side effects are, and they are understated. Um, I lost big chunks of memory, big chunks of time. I lost a great deal of cognitive function. I could not remember the year. Um, again, I couldn't drive. I didn't know. It's really difficult to explain that part, but it literally was a traumatic brain injury that was created on purpose. Wow. Um, that is what electric shock therapy does. And, and so imagine that on top of already being depressed and suicidal and struggling with eating. And I, the spiral was, I mean, I, I don't even you know. People talk about rock bottom. This was below that. I don't know. I thought I had hit rock bottom before when I walked away from my job and all that. Like, this was something else. This was under the bottom. Oh, and all from the medical treatment. That's crazy. Yeah, it only added to my to my pain. Again, that could be a whole separate thing. And I'll, I'll get off on the wrong track or talking about <laughs> the, the electroshock therapy because I'm so, so adamantly against it now. And if anybody out there is considering it, um, again, I'm not a doctor, but I am someone who's been through it. it it's terrible. It is not worth it it didn't talk about temporary a little bit of temporary relief but ultimately the end result is devastation and it isn't just me there are thousands of people who have had the exact same thing happen to them the memory loss the cognitive function like there are people that have actually done their iq and their iq went down 20 points oh my god yeah so anyway, I, again, I can get kind of stuck on that. But um, anyway, so I got to the place where uh, I was such a mess. And the physical stuff, like I knew I was probably really unwell, but I stopped going to the doctor altogether. I just did. Like, I just was like, I'm not doing this anymore. They can't help yeah. me. Um, and I also didn't want to be weighed. I didn't want to be judged. And um there came a point where I was having blackouts, like um, any kind of major activity going the stairs, a, a, a cough. I would like cough and like the tunnel would come. I have no idea what's wrong with me. I That's assume crazy. it had something to do with my blood glucose, but uh, I didn't know at the time. Um, when I would lay there at night in the bed, the weight of my own chest would be crushing. I literally would wake up gasping for air because I couldn't breathe and it was scary. And my, this is where my husband stepped in and said, you're going to die. Wow. I am not going to let you die. And 
I didn't want to do anything about it. I was still in that place of, I don't care if I die. But he took me um, and had my um, blood pressure taken. I, I agreed to go. And I was like, I'm not going to a doctor, but I'll go to one of these minute clinic things where there's a pharmacist and, you know, a quick thing. And for the first time in, in many, many years, I, I saw my blood pressure. Now, I didn't know anything about health or blood pressure or what was high, what was low. But I knew that in the past, it was scary low because of the anorexia. But when they, when they took my blood pressure, I saw this number flashing on the screen. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It was up there in that hypertension actually listed beside of like, if your blood pressure is this, you're at risk for extreme risk for stroke, hypertension. Like I felt like I should be rushed to the hospital right then. I probably should have. But Mm -hmm. in that moment, I realized that um, I had this sort of out of body experience um, where my future flashed before my eyes. And in that future, I pictured myself disfigured with a stroke at my daughter's wedding or dead from a heart attack, absent from my other daughter's graduation from high school. And and I started to picture the future without me in it and all the things that I would miss. And there was something about that that brought back my, my desire to live. And I started to realize I had been caught in a terrible lie. And that lie was that the world would be better off without me, that my family would be better off without me, that I caused more harm being alive than I would if I just died. And and I realized I had been believing a lie. And I also realized I wanted to live. I didn't want to miss those things. I wanted to live for the first time again. And, um, my, my husband, again, pretty much, he's a saint pretty much. Um, um, if you can imagine, um, he, um, got on Facebook and started looking up groups for me, um, to get like low carb recipes. Cause we decided, you know, in that moment, I'm like, I have to do something. I'm so overweight. Um, I weighed in and, you know, again, it was terrible, but but um, we decided low carb was the answer because in the past I had done Atkins and lost weight. Right. Now, rem- keep in mind, doing Atkins, doing low carb did not help my eating disorder. There are people who believe that if you just cut out um, sugar, then your food addiction is going to be okay. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. I literally remember like we would open like a pack of 10 hot dogs and two cans of chili and you know, because it was all low carb. Um, like <laughs> exactly. I could, binge, I could binge on a whole roast. I mean, I could, you know, it, it, same here. It was the same behavior and it was there regardless of whether there were carbs or not. Um, so, so we decided low carb was the answer. He gets on Facebook, he starts looking for, you know, groups that I can be in. I rejoined social media just so he can add me to low carb groups. And, one of the first groups he added me to was um, ketogenic success. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and I now work for Keto Evangelist LLC, who runs that page, ketogenic success. 
Um, at the time, it was a smaller group, but I was seeing, you know, I, I didn't really understand low carb. I was doing it. I didn't understand the difference in ketogenic and low carb. Um, but as I watched and I read and I started to address things, I started to understand that ingredients were important, that like certain oils were bad for me, like really bad. And that grains were inflammatory. And I mean, I think back about when I did low carb before I had like the low carb wraps, I had all this stuff. Right. And that's better than eating just like bleached out white bread. But, but the inflammation is there. It's It's still there. Yeah. And so I had never really experienced what it felt like to not be inflamed. Um, and so I felt the inflammation go down. Um, I also understood that I started to understand that fat was not a bad thing. And if you're like me and you grew up in the you know late 70s, 80s, 90s, fat was the devil. And it was the cause it of was. all ill in the world. And so it was quite a leap of faith for me to say, I'm going to add fat. I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat a high fat diet. Like this is crazy. I'm already fat. Um, but I really came to the conclusion that I had to trust. I saw people, other people's transformations. And um, I saw that it was different. I saw that they looked well. I saw that they looked happy. They were talking about health changes, not just food. I mean, they're not just that, that they had lost weight. And so I took the leap of faith and I started to eat a higher fat diet. And within two months, my urge to binge and purge was non-existent. Wow. Months. So since that was a great miracle to me, I had never experienced that in my entire life, even like right after treatment programs, when I would get out, the longest I made it was like a month, um, two months. And I'm like, why? <laughs> so I got a little bit obsessed with keto <laughs> because I wanted to know why this, why do I feel so much better? Why am I suddenly thinking clearly? Why am I able to figure all this out? my brain cleared up. And I think that was the function of finally giving my brain some fat yeah. um, because I never had my life other, oh my unless gosh. it was like fat I from know. donuts, which that doesn't, that doesn't Same. help your brain. Um, <laughs> like I finally gave my brain this nourishment that it needed. And also I think the anti-inflammatory thing, Absolutely. I think every part of my body was inflamed. I couldn't think clearly. And um, I started to be able to see my own behavior for what it was. The physical cravings went down. The other thing was I started to realize my own sabotaging patterns. And that's where I look back at all the therapists and I like to, I think it was on Robert's podcast where I'm like, I feel like all the therapists and hospitals, everybody all held hands and it suddenly made sense and it connected with my brain. Wow. And it, it's like, I always heard all this stuff. I, I heard this and I heard that, and this works. It never applied to me. I literally could never apply that healing to me. I needed my body to have a change before my brain could, before I could deal with the cognitive stuff. So anyway, it led me down the road to research and I, you know, I I'm constantly working on learning more, even now, four years later. Um, I am over four years food sober. 
I have not binged and purged. I have not eaten sugar grains, any of that bad stuff in over four years, not one bite. And I am well, and I am happy. At some point I was able to get off of the meds. Maybe it was maybe a year and a half in, um, I was able to get off the meds. And again, that's kind of interesting. That has something to do with Clara. Um, but today, I mean, I, I am in my purpose. My whole mission in life is to let people know you are not too far gone. I don't care how long you've been sick. I don't care how ingrained you think the behavior is in you. It can change. You can change. My story is to let you know that. And I know I glossed over a lot of stuff, but I was in really bad shape. Now I'm not. <laughs> yeah. yeah mentally, mentally, physically, spiritually, I just completely renewed, not even better than restored. I am new. I am someone that I've never met before. This version of me is someone who's never existed before now because I'm well. Um, and, and just briefly um, talking about getting off the meds. One of the things I realized about the psychological meds that I have been on for so long is that one of them um, was the same medication that my daughter Clara was taking for her seizures. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. And I think that's really interesting. You know, we decided to get her on keto when she was um, nine. And because we had read at that point, I had been keto for not a whole year, but getting close to it. But we had read that it was good for seizures. And so we got her on keto. And I realized if keto is good for her brain and it can take the place of this medication that she's on. And I'm on the same medication. Yep. I wonder if I need it. Out, I don't. Amazing. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that too because it's so important to understand how in, this is such a good thing for brain health. Yes. But, um, yeah, any, but yeah, that's that's where I am today. And now I, I help other people that are stuck and hurt and broken. And uh I just feel like that's my divine appointment in life right now. I love it. Well, you have purpose and there's nothing more motivating, more inspiring than that. I love that you told the story. I like, I wanted to just let you talk. Hey guys, we're going to take a minute right now to tell you about one of our amazing sponsors, Santa Cruz Medicinals. Santa Cruz Medicinals is a company that we've been using for years now. They make high potency, high quality, lab tested CBD formulas at an affordable price. They offer ketogenic, paleo, gluten-free, sugar-free, lab tested formulas. You all may remember when we did our cannabis series last year. One of the things we learned with CBD is that the research is pretty clear on dosage. Five to 20 grams per kilogram is what you should be taking per day. And most of the quote unquote CBD you see online and on Amazon is severely underdosed. Most of these products are offering dosages that are so low, you'd have to down a bottle a day. (laughs) That's why we love Santa Cruz Medicinals because they offer highly dosed, potent CBD with clean ingredients, and they have several cool products, but we want to share our favorites with you. So what are your favorites, my love? Um, All of them? (laughs) No, really. I have yet to try a product from them that I don't love. However, I will talk about some of my ride or die products. So during my cycle, I get horrible migraines, guys. 
And my go-to is definitely their peppermint tincture or the 10,000 milligrams to get a potent anti-inflammatory dose. Uh, Peppermint has been shown in studies to relieve migraine pain. But let's talk about the pain salve real quick because this I use for almost everything. And everyone in this household agrees we cannot live without it. So the CBD pain salve has clean ingredients that you can trust, but it also has peppermint, which really, really helps. And so what I like to do is I'll rub some on my temples and it really provides instant relief for me when I have bad headaches. But of course, I'll use it as well for any muscle pain that I have. Well, I'm personally a huge fan of the 10,000 milligram bottles of CBD in MCT oil. I put it in my coffee and then again at night, I'll, I'll put some more in like some broth or whatever drink I'm drinking, a hot tea uh, to get an adequate dose for the day. I also love the pain salve, especially when I'm extra sore. We usually take turns massaging it onto each other and it always does the job. You guys also have to try the new CBD infused hemp and collagen protein. If you're a fan of horchata, you will love this one. Oh, that one is so good, guys. We just tried it and it is so good. Um, So yeah, if you're interested, check them out. You can find them at scmedicinals.com. And of course, don't forget to use the code FATFIELDMOM at checkout to save 15% on your order and get free shipping, guys. I wanted to bring something up because I thought thought of you this morning because I was in my um, guided meditation. They were talking about negative feedback loops or negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So basically self-talk, yeah, like self-talk and, and they were talking about how, you know, separate from the thought, observe it, don't obsess over mm-hmm. it, identify it and then challenge the thought. And I was like, oh, oh this so is you. perfect so segue. So let's talk about Ed or that voice yeah. of self-sabotage and What are some actionable steps that we can implement right away to shut down that voice of sabotage? I think the first thing to do is realize that you have a voice of sabotage. (laughs) Yep. Most people, most people do not realize that. Um, Mary, uh, uh, Mary Roberts and I teach an eating disorder class, a food addiction class, and, and it's a support group, but it's the first week we really talk about becoming aware (laughs) that you have this voice of sabotage. Um, The voice of sabotage is, I always picture it like, okay, um, most of my brain is healthy and it wants good things for me. I want to succeed. I want to be a good mom. I want to, you know, be healthy. I want all these things, but there's this little tiny part of my brain that is constantly sending out messages messages of sabotage. And I call that Ed. And I think it's important to separate Ed from you because most people throughout the years have thought they were fighting within themselves, that they were conflicted. You're not conflicted. <laughs> you want good things for you. Yeah. yeah. This, this voice of sabotage is putting out the message and leaning, leading you back towards destruction and leading you back towards away from purpose, away from the things that you want from yourself. It's not a conflict. You have an enemy and it's not you. And that was so healing for me to realize I don't have to fight myself. The real battle is this voice of sabotage. And I think giving it a name is very, very helpful. Yeah. It makes you the hero, right? You're the hero of the story and you're fighting the villain. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And the villain truly is that the voice of sabotage. I think the thing that's tricky is the voice of sabotage speaks to us in our own voice. Yep. Um, so we have to learn to separate the two. 
And people say, well, how do I know? You know, because if, if, if you are negotiating in your brain, if you are become aware of the constant talk in your mind and it's there, that, that part of you that's leading you back towards something that isn't good for you, that is Ed. That's the sabotaging part. That's the thought that you have to capture. And so the, the sabotaging voice, Ed, can create a thought loop that goes on and on and on and on. And the problem with that is if you don't stop, acknowledge the thought, speak up with the truth, say no to it, and make a different decision, you start to think the only way you can get that negative thought to stop is by engaging in the behavior that it wants you to. Right. Oh. right. So right. like all you want is to shut it down. Yeah. And, and by the end of the day, when this thought loop has been there all day long, and most people aren't even aware of it until they really start digging in, they realize the sabotaging thought has been there and they finally got worn down and they gave in because they wanted it to shut up. They wanted the voice yep. to stop. Yeah, But there is another way. The other way is as soon as you realize that you're having a sabotaging thought, you capture that thought. You don't try to push it aside. You don't say, no, I don't want to think that. You take it and you say, I acknowledge that this is, this is the thought that is going through my head. But I'm speaking and I'm saying this, this thing, the voice of sabotage is lying to me. Um, I talked about a couple of lies in this podcast, and and one of them was, um, if you stop resisting, you'll have peace. <laughs> yep. What actually? I mean, that sounds good, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. sounds great. Sounds like sounds like, like yeah, better, easier. I, I yeah. that. That was Ed. I was like, that was a masterpiece of a lie because yeah. <laughs> I fell for it for years. Um, but but the reality is, when I stopped resisting, Ed got to take over my whole life. Um, I say, you know, I pictured like the brain again, we got most of our brain is healthy and wants the best for us. Ed is this tiny little dark area in there that spreads, you know, sending out these negative messages in times of stress. And I think I started the thing off talking about how we act and react in times of stress. In times of stress, I I feel like that dark part, it has tentacles that spread and take over all of our good intentions and all of our good thoughts and all of our hopes and dreams. And if we don't stop and capture that thought, acknowledge it, capture it and speak truth. So if if Ed says to me, um, you know, you should just stop resisting. This is too much work. Just give in. You're just meant to be unhealthy. Like you're just meant to be overweight. You're just meant to be um, the way that you are. You're just a depressed person. You were born with bulimia, like all these things. I say back to him, actually, I can get free. When I give in and I stop resisting, that's when you take over my life and I'm never going back there, Ed. So you stand up and you, and you, you stand up to the lies. It's very tempting, whatever it is. Um, And it goes from like small lies, like it'll just be one bite. (laughs) To lies like the world will be better with you not in it. Yeah. Yep. That was the second lie, I believe, that if I died, I was realistic. Okay, yes, my family would be sad. But the lie that I believed from the voice of sabotage was that 
it would still be better because my existence was so stressful to them. Yeah. I believed that. And that was a lie. The truth is, the truth is, no, Ed, I have a purpose. And this delay in me fulfilling it has been all about getting sucked into this addiction and being blind to what was around me. And it was about self. And um, again, you know, those lies can be little and they can be powerful, but they're always a lie. They're not going to miss you. You can end it. They'll get over it. Yeah. You're not that great. You're not that important. Of course. Well, it was, it was even worse than that. It was, it was, you caused them such problems. Oh. Yeah. Like your husband, you're making him go get you food. You're, you're tear. You are a beast. If you don't get the food that you want. I was, I was mean and nasty and irritable and terrible. It was addiction. And so, you know, people do ask me that question. Like, like, how did you get food? You didn't leave the house. Well, yeah, he did do it for me. But part of it was, it was the only way to calm the savage beast. And so I literally saw myself and like, my daughter sees me depressed. I yell all the time. Um, I, I'm not a good mom. And I cannot look back now and say that I was, I, I was incapable of that. But um, I, I, I am today. I'm a good mom today. And so had I believed that lie um, that I was better off gone and that they would be better off without me because I was a source of stress, then I wouldn't have the opportunity. I would be missing all these things. That makes me so sad, but I'm so grateful. And I really hope that there's somebody out there that is maybe you've been told that lie. Maybe even today you woke up thinking this is not worth going on. Maybe you, maybe this economic situation has had you scared and you just don't think you can handle it and can't deal with it. It's all lies and it's all the voice of sabotage. It's not always about food. It's about creating a situation where you go into behaviors that are damaging to your spiritual and physical and mental health. Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing every time. Um, all right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about exercise. Um, so where does, you know, where does the gym or exercise fall into all of this for you? Because um it's not the same for everyone. Uh, do you find it helpful at all? And you know, where can people trip up here when it does come to exercise? Yeah. Okay, so I I always I'm like, you really want to ask me this question? Um <laughs> Well, yeah, because that's I want bulimia to right there, the right? Yeah. It is the truth. The truth is, I lost 142 pounds without exercising. Right, that's the truth. Yep. Could I have even been better if I had? Most likely. For me, I was working on this, this, the mental part, the spiritual part, the physical part in terms of food. I didn't feel like I had it in me. Um, the reality is I could have done something. And if I could go back and tell myself, I would have said, just like walk for five minutes. Cause that's probably all I could do at that point. Um, but so I lost the weight without it. You don't have to have that, but I realized it was, it's kind of been a missing piece. And, um, so this year, and I always have a focus for the year this year, I have decided that it is important to me to move my body. 
Yeah. And I'm doing that for the first time and I feel kind of foolish. Like I feel like a beginner because I'm like the beginning of the beginner. <laughs> but <laughs> Mary and I also do this beginner fitness group. Um, and I had to start from scratch. I mean, literally, you guys, I a 10 second plank was the best yeah. I could do. <laughs> 10 seconds. And th- there's a video of it and it is hilarious. But, <laughs> but what I would say to everybody who's listening is as I, so I am constantly fascinated by brain health. And I've been reading these scientific studies where, you know, exercise actually creates new yeah. brain tissue growth. Yes. Yep. If I didn't care about, you know, having good looking arms, I care about that. Yeah. Right. That I care about. It yeah. actually regrows neuroplasticity. It it regrows brain tissue. After all I've been through, I need that. Yes. I'm not gonna <laughs> I mean, to me, that that made me interested. Right. Um, so the more that I learn about what exercise does for your mind, the more I want to do it for that reason. Um, but so I tell people I'm like, I couldn't do one squat. And there's a lot of reasons why people don't do it. I thought, you know, I'm too fat. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I don't have any energy and I don't have any time. Those, those are all the things that people say. Well, once you get keto and you get fat after, you're going to have some energy. I, I tell you, I don't even drink <laughs> coffee. And I got this kind of energy pretty much all the time. Um, so, so you, So keto gives you the energy. You have a constant fuel source in your body. You're not having to, you don't have the ups and downs of needing carbohydrates all the time. And depending on your food intake for your energy. And, and, and I think that's such a nice, smooth energy. It's not up and down. It's just always there. Yes. Um, So the time thing, I, that is huge too. And I, I told myself this for the last four years, I don't have time to do this coaching. I'm homeschooling. I am um, doing this and that, and I'm trying to write a book and I'm doing all these things and I don't have time for exercise. But one of the things I realized is I do have three minutes. And if three minutes, if I can do calf raises, I can stand yes. up my desk and do calf raises. I can lean against the wall and do wall push-ups. Yep. I can get on the floor and do a plank and yeah. try to do it a little bit longer every day. Those things count. Absolutely. Absolutely count. And, and I think part of the part of the reason that people don't um, work out is they feel like they have to reach some certain level of weight loss before they do. Yeah, it's just yeah. not true. Nope. It, it isn't true. If you can do one of something, do that one. Do it. Um, yeah. So I, I do encourage that for mental health reasons and for physical health reasons. And um, I, if I could go back, I would I would have started something sooner. Um, so I look forward to kind of seeing that's, that's my next layer. Um, for me, it's peeling that back and what happens when I exercise, how does that change what I eat? I stay in a constant state of curiosity. If I change this, what's going to happen? Oh, if I, love I that. do this, then so that's good. what's going to happen. Well, you know what it is. Curiosity literally pulls you out of stinking thinking. If yeah. you're depressed, sad, angry, mad irritable and you ask a question it pulls you right up out of that wow i wonder what i wonder if and it's really really very 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 powerful 
And, you know, people do also ask, like, how do you stay keto for so long? How do you not cheat in that period yeah. of time? Um, and things like that. And I think it's because the journey stays interesting. I, you never arrive. So right is not something you become. It's something that you do every day. Yeah. And like I said, there's layers of it. And I continue, I, I get through one layer and I'm like, what's next? And as long as you stay curious, then you stay interested. As long as you stay interested, you don't dip down into stinking thinking. Stinking thinking, I'm bored of keto. I don't like this food anymore. Stopping oh, appreciating no. what has happened for you. Yeah. Uh, it's not happening fast enough. I don't see a muscle yet. And I've been working out for one week. I mean, this is this is the culture we live in, this instant gratification thing. Yeah. But it leads to stinking thinking. And stinking thinking leads to relapse. So staying yeah. in a constant uh, place of curiosity about what's going to happen next has been absolutely critical in keeping me interested and keeping me going and fitness is it for me now um and and I'm still doing really small things <laughs> on no, January okay. 1st I could do a 10 second plank now I can probably do 30 you know so it, it's it's just doing something and understanding a lot of us are all or nothing it's right so true. yeah yeah and I think that's the thing accept, people think they need some like fancy workout perfect routine. Is like you need to be fridge. at the gym for two hours like no <laughs> yeah well I think a lot of people who have eating disorders are all or nothing we yeah, don't want true. like it, we don't even count it um if it isn't enough if it isn't something big if it's not something we feel proud of and the reality is I really have to lean into that part of me um my brain says go out and hit it hard. And I know in the past when I've tried to, I would do something for one day and then I would quit. Yeah, I would wear myself out. I would want yep. to prove how strong I was or what I could do. And then I would be beat up and I wouldn't do it again. And I'm having to really lean into that behavior right now and say, this is a layer for me. Um, why in the past have I not been able to get fit and the reason is because of that perfectionism. It's all or nothing. I have made excuses. I don't have time. Yes, I do. You can one by one kind of take down those things. But I think if you have failed at something in the past, you need to look back at it to see why. Why didn't this work out? Yes. And for me, yeah. fitness is one of those things. And that's the change I'm making this year. Well, Jessica, I just, I can't tell you how much I love what you just said because like, first of all, would you, would you say that when you got obsessed with keto, that not only were you more interested in it after doing all that reading, but you were able to help yourself and help others more? Yes. You know what? I, I do say this a lot of times when I'm talking to people, science helps keep me sober. Love it. <laughs> um, it does. It does. There's I, an explanation. Yeah. Well, before I could eat things. And I didn't really, you know, again, I kind of fell into that thing. It doesn't matter. Calories in, calories out. It doesn't matter if it comes from a donut or a piece of meat. Like I really did believe that. Yeah. And when you start to study and learn nutrition and learn the benefits of high fat and, burn, and learn the benefits of protein, and then you learn what seed oils do to you, you learn what sugar does to you and that sugar creates inflammation and inflammation creates disease. Um, and you learn about, you know, all these things, you don't want to hurt yourself anymore. To me, so eating sugar is self-harm. So the yes. more I know, the more science I know, 
the more it helps me. And I'm telling you, I teach people this too. I don't just keep it to myself. I will teach them the science of why. Someone will ask me, should I eat this? And I'll say, well, I wouldn't. Here's why I don't. But yeah. you're grown and you can do what you want. To, but I want you to know. So then, you know, if you, if you have a consequence, you can choose whether you want to do that again. And well, I think that educating people is also part of what I do. And I love, love, I can get real nerdy with the science. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, look, I, I just asked you that question because like, you know, you talk about being curious in the gym and, you know, I've been talking about this for a while, for a few months now, because, you know, Ben, my buddy, my business partner, you know, he's, he's doing stuff with an actual neuroscience lab, mm -hmm. trying to take advantage of this extremely neuroplastic state where, yeah. where you're training, you're, you're in, you're able to learn so much. And, and so like for anyone who feels like they can't get started because they just don't know, obviously if they don't feel safe, they need a, a trainer to walk them through, you know, the exercises for a while. But, you know, after that point, just start to play with different things within right. the proper, obviously range. Don't be, don't be doing crazy stuff, but like, try to see what happens when you change the angle on something or, or how you feel something. I mean, those things to me, it's just like testing your ketones and your blood sugar and, and then drawing conclusions from that. Like, yeah. I know that if I was if I do a leg extension and I keep my legs, my, my quads really close together and I point my toes together, which is a weird thing that I love, I get mm -hmm. the best contraction. And I, I wasn't even able to do that exercise for years because I was like, well, open chain movements, you can't do those because you have bad knees. You had you know, knee reconstruction on one knee and you know, uh, my meniscus is torn on my left knee. But now that's my favorite exercise. And that's just because I learned more about how to make sure my knees are tracking properly, how to perform and execute it properly. So it's like all those things, they, they're so helpful. So I'm glad you brought it up. Well, that's such a good example of how what we believe about ourselves keeps us from moving forward, <laughs> so true. where truth, truth is there is a way, right? I mean, you believed you could not do those things. And now you know that that was a lie. That, that belief can be about fitness. It can be about food. It can be about any habit you have, like what you're capable of. You are capable of more than what you think you are. Um, but, but believing that you can't do things keeps you from trying. And I just encourage you to step out in faith, lean into it instead and be curious, see what happens. You may be very surprised by what you learn about yourself. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to ask you one more question because I think this one, I, I want to, you know, be uh, respectful of all the people who are in it right now. Yeah. And I know you, you're working with a ton and I think this would just be very helpful for them. So let's say someone is having a hard time with bulimic episodes, whether it's undoing their binge by fasting or if it's actual purging or all the, or even chronic crazy exercise, right. what are some ways they can bounce back or avoid avoid it happening again? Like how can they learn from this and take it as a way to empower themselves? I think the way that the, the first thing that happens is you have to stop keeping it a secret. And that is a tough oh, thing. That's huge. Oh, yeah. The shame <laughs> keeps you completely bound. So True. find someone in your life that you can tell, let it out. Admit that these things are happening. That is, that's a 
tough first step, but it is, it is so freeing. I talk about the first time I shared publicly about my eating disorder. And I I shared that awful, awful picture of me with my belly hanging out and that was never, ever meant for public consumption. And I had so much fear in me. What are people going to think of me? And this is my secret thing. And I can't ever let this out. And then I hit post the freedom, the lightness, the weight that was lifted off of me, a huge weight is lifted from us when we share our disordered behavior with someone we can trust. And whether that's a therapist, whether it's a friend, whether it's a support group, I highly encourage that. It takes the shame away. It helps you realize you're not alone, that other people do these things. You're not a freak. This is not something just you do. Other people have the same thing and there's a lot of comfort in that. The other thing you have to do is realize the ways in your life that this, what is this keeping you from doing? Um, because if you don't want to get well, and I have to tell you the reason I didn't get well is because I didn't want to get well. Um, I wanted my eating disorder. I liked the comfort that it gave me. I was holding on for dear life. I'm one of those people. I'm like, I gave my finances to the Lord. I gave my family to the Lord. Like I was a Christian and I still like this one thing. I'm like, this is mine. And look what a mess I made of it, by the way. But I didn't want to give up control. I did not want to give, give that up. And so there's a certain element of surrender. You have to say, I really do want to get well. And I know I meet people who come to me and maybe they've heard a podcast or something and they say, Jessica, you know, it's me. And when we really start to talk, they don't want to get rid yeah. of what Ed does for them. And yeah. what that is, is it's, you know, if they're binging and purging, it's soothing. It's, it's that that's short-term relief. And so I think what's really helpful is to sit down and write a list of things. What would my, what could my life be like if this wasn't an issue? What would I do with my time if I wasn't obsessed with food? What would I do with my money? You know, unreal how much money we spend on, on food that we binge and binge and purge on. Um, What would I do with my time? And some people are scared of that too, because they're like, I don't know. It occupies every thought. Well, you can't be open to anything when something destructive occupies your thoughts. So I think you have to ask the question, what's in it for me to get well? And do I want that? Am I willing to lean into the unknown and say, I am willing to face the unknown and the fear of that more than I'm willing to keep living like I'm living. Yep. And so that's the psychological part of it. Um, and I think that's a lot of, that's self-work, that's mental work. And I think you can't think clearly enough to get to that point if you're not eating well. well I think you need your brain to be working to be able to work through those things. Listen, if there's anybody right now listening to this, can you just do us all a favor? Do yourself a favor more than anybody. Don't do us a favor. It's not for us. It's for you. It's for you. Literally right now, think of that person that you're going to call and call them. Tell them right now and then ask them, how should I, whether it's going to another group? I mean, we'll we'll give Jessica an opportunity now to, to, um, uh, what did I say? Opportunity to... uh, to, you know, announce, you know, some of the groups that she's, you know, doing with the coaching, but do that right now so that you can stop suffering. I mean, it's not going to be easy, but, but this is, this is that first step. It's the next step. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So if there's someone, ahead. if there's someone who thinks I'm all alone, I don't have a friend in the world. Cause some of us have closed ourselves off yeah, to that absolutely. point. I have no one to call. I'm by myself. It helps to write it down. What I did was I started writing letters to Ed. Mm-hmm. Ed, I hate what you do to me. I hate this. These are the things I don't do anymore because of you. I mean, wow. just putting it on paper starts to make it real. And it and it identifies Ed as the enemy versus you beating yourself up. You need to beat on Ed. And you can do that by writing it out. And that part right there is very healing if you have no one else to go to. Wow, that's such great advice. Um, I really just, gosh, this has been amazing. Thank you so much <clears throat> for coming on and being so open always with your story. I know, I'm sure it's gotten easier over the years, but it's it's not easy, you know, just digging into this all the time. Um, so <clears throat> I want I want, you know, for anyone listening and anyone who is ready to, you know, take the next step, um, you know, where can we, where can people find you? Where, you know, what groups can they join? Um, tell us a little bit about the coaching and um, yeah, anything else that you think might help. Uh, and we'll put it all, of course, in the show notes. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I, most of my clients that I work with do have disordered eating patterns and or maybe some past mental health issues. And um, we have a wide array of coaches at ketoevangelistcoaching.com. It's not that I don't want to help everybody in the world because I totally do, which is why I tell my story in places where more people will hear. But go on there and read the profiles and see who you connect with. My people come to me and they're typically broken. And uh, if you are my people, I'm available for coaching. Uh, Just click my profile on there and uh, it's Coach Jessica on Facebook and Instagram, Coach Jessica, and it's J-E-S-S-Y-C-A. And um, again, I work for ketoevangelistcoaching.com. Um, the other thing that I do that's extremely rewarding and fulfilling is, is specialty groups. So right now I have a group coming up and I know this will be posted after it starts, but I'm sure I'll do another one. Um, I'm teaching intuitive eating. We didn't talk about the fact that I lost 142 pounds and did not track. Ugh, yeah. I love it. I know. And so my friend Sabrina and I, who also has an amazing story, by the way, um, we run that group together. It's just a four week group where we help you identify, you know, is it emotional hunger? Is it real hunger? It really just helps you look at some behaviors along with some right. like practical stuff too. So that's an intuitive eating group. And then Mary um, Roberts, Keto Mary 71, we, we are on our 17th group Wow. of 20 people. It's been about a year and 20 people each. It's been about a year and a half and we have run 17 groups. We're in the midst of 17. Um, the next one's going to start in April. Um, but it creates those groups. We work on the things that I've talked about in this, in this podcast. We work on identifying the voice of sabotage. We work on identifying your danger zones. We work on what are the lies? What do I say back to this lie? That's always seemed real to me. We work on really deep kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, our goal in that group is freedom. But what's really cool is it's a small group and everybody there is exactly like you. If you struggle, that's such a great 
place to begin. It really, really is. Um, and we help you with acceptance and we help you with getting yeah. through that and a lot of deep stuff, like how your relationships change when you lose weight or you get sober. And it's, yeah. it's just a really fantastic, it's one of the most rewarding things that I do. Um, and so specialty groups are awesome. Highly recommend that if you are not maybe ready for full on one-on-one intense coaching, um, be in a specialty group. You can, you can hang out there and you can feel supported. And um, the food addiction class, is that one. And then again, the, we do the um, intuitive eating class and, and those are so rewarding for me. And it does create a little community of people who stay friends. Oh, of course. So if you think you don't have people now, you can get some people. Oh yeah. <laughs> we got people. Um, so the community that that creates is really, really fantastic. And I'm so proud of it. Oh, you should be. It's so important to stay connected like that. Um, and that's how it is with any other addiction. If you get sober, you know, from alcohol, they, you know, you got to go to your meetings, you got to stay connected. So it's really important if you are serious and you're ready to make a change to get connected and, you know, start somewhere now with the internet, it's so easy to get connected with someone. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jessica. Seriously. Oh my gosh. We get to hear and talk forever. Can I say one parting thing? Yes, yes, I know. I know. Can I say one parting thing? I just feel this like deep in my soul. Say For it. those of you who are out there and you are are stressing out about what's going on. Yeah. And things feel like they are falling apart and you feel so tempted to return to something you have been freed from. Wow. Resist that. What you're looking for is something that that substance is not going to fulfill for you it isn't and and not only does it not fix your anxiety it doesn't fix the things that you're worried about it adds another element to it now you're back in your addiction and you still have the stress during times like this we need our health we need our mental physical and spiritual health we need to be at our very best so we can make good decisions Going back to your addiction is the opposite of that. Reach out for help. You do not have to go back to something that you have been free from. Amen to that. Amen to that, Bruno. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. We love you.